You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. For more sermons and content, go to sojournmontrose.com. We're going to journey today uh, a little bit further into what we've been doing the last uh, really just two weeks. Um, we're, we're in a season of our church where we really want to sort of um, be reminded uh, what, what really we're, we're doing here at Sojourn. And I think, I think ultimately our, our hope is not necessarily that we would be calling people to Sojourn, although that will be part of it, but that we're really just calling those of us who are believers in the room to um, what the Lord has called us to do. And so there's, there's three things that sort of comprise what, what we would call the, the pillars of Sojourn, um, the, the gospel of Jesus, the church of Jesus, and the mission of Jesus. And so last week we talked at length about how the gospel um, applies to us, how how Jesus's work on the cross redeems us, how that fixes everything that has gone wrong, how that's, a, that's, that's the, the, the one way that, that God has made or, or will make all things new in and through the person and work of Jesus. And so uh, today we're going to talk about the church of Jesus. We're going to talk um, uh, specifically about what it looks like to sort of be a part of really the family of God. Um, and, and how we then relate to one another in that family. And so um, if, you're, if you're a guest or if you belong to another church, would hope that this would be encouraging no matter, no matter where you find yourself really um, and that you would be um, ultimately called into the fullness of what it is that, that God has called us to be. So if you don't mind, let me uh, say a quick prayer and then we'll, we'll get started. Father God, we thank you for this morning, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to gather. I pray, Lord, that the gravity of what it is that takes place here on Sunday mornings would um, not escape from us. Lord, that we would take a moment, that we would settle our hearts, that we would open our ears and our minds, Lord, to what it is that you would have for us from your scriptures. Pray for those of us in the room, Lord, who um, are believers this morning. Pray, God, that you would encourage and strengthen us, Father, in, in, uh, in, in, in your truth and, Lord, in what you have called us to do and be. Uh, and I pray for those of us who are not believers in the room, Lord, that you would um, reveal yourself this morning, Lord, that as we look at how you make things new, how you redeem a people for yourself, Lord, that that might uh, begin to cause intrigue, Lord, questions as to whether or not what Jesus came to do is actually true and real and happening. And so, Lord, we, we love you. Uh, we ask for your spirit to, to lead us and guide us in this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Cool. So, uh, what, what we've been doing, like I said, just, is just being reminded, being called back to what we believe the Lord has called us to do. And, and so, this, this morning's sermon is just titled Church, and, and the tagline is sort of, We Are Family. Now, um, depending on what your sort of uh, life growing up looked like, that word family can conjure really um, one, of, one of two feelings. Not, and, and really, there's not a lot of people that I think are in the middle. You either have sort of a, a, a good feeling towards that word, like you hear the word family and you think of great, you know, great times around the dinner table, you think about uh, whatever it might be, Christmas morning, right? Um, and then for some of us, maybe, you know, you hear that word and it causes you to cringe a little bit. Maybe there's been some tension. Maybe there's some brokenness in your family that, um, that you've had to walk through and experience that has been less than pleasant. And yet, and yet what we want to do today is, is, is sort of re- redeem that in the sense of, uh, of what it means to then be the church, to be a family as the church, right? Because some of us may come with some good expectations, some may come with, with negative expectations, and yet what we want to do is look into, dive into um, what it is that Jesus has called us into um, and, and really see the, the fullness of God's grace manifested towards us in and through his people, the church. Um, 
So, look, there's a, there's a primary sort of metaphor all throughout the scriptures, um, particularly in the New Testament, when it, goes, when, when it begins to talk about the church. And it's always, it's always this idea of family. And so, look, when you... Um, it doesn't matter who you are in this room, right? Whether you've had good experiences with family or negative experiences with family, all of us feel like our family, to some degree, is a little bit crazy, right? I think, I think that's true. And, and, and it doesn't matter where you find yourself. If you get into a conversation about that with someone, it automatically, no matter what, becomes like, okay, well, well let me try and trump that story, right? It's like, oh, you think, wait, you think your family's crazy? Check out this. Let me tell you what happened with Bobby at Thanksgiving last year. Or let me tell you about sort of this situation, right? It's always sort of this one-upmanship. And then what, what inevitably happens too is uh, when you look at your family, you survey it and you say, it's everyone else that's crazy. It's not me, right? Like you're, you're looking around your family and you're saying, okay, this is kind of a weird situation, but it definitely has nothing to do with the fact that I'm a part of it. And yet if we want to be honest with ourselves, sojourn is a safe place. We can do that. Like you're a little bit crazy too. And you sort of add into the craziness that is your family, right? And so, look, all of our families, to some degree, experience dysfunction, right? I mean, if you've you've been a part of a family long enough, or maybe even if you're not a part of a family right now, it's probably because you've experienced some form of dysfunction. And yet, what what, what we traced last week as the root of that dysfunction is redeemed in and through Jesus and is given to us in a whole new way in the church. And so, and so where there's dysfunction, God creates function. Or where there is disunity, God creates unity in and through the gospel work of Jesus. And so look, just like we can't choose our natural born family, we also can't choose our church family. And the same dysfunction that creeps up by virtue of who we are, by virtue of our sinfulness, by virtue of the curse that is within us, will also by necessity creep up within the church. And so look, last, last week we talked about the, the source of this dysfunction, right? We went to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 where we saw that, that look, something was good, right? Like the family was happy. God created us to be in communion. God created us in this sort of beautiful state. Right? It says that they were naked and that they were unashamed, that they were happy, that things were good. And then we see that something happens in chapter 3 where, where what was once happy, where, where they were naked and unashamed, now they are naked and ashamed. And that in that moment, they begin to experience dysfunction. And in Genesis chapter 4, we see the very first family, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, right? And Adam and Eve's sons, one of them actually kills the other. Right? That's, that this dysfunction that was born in, in the end of Genesis chapter 2, uh, beginning of, of chapter 3, creates not only dysfunction in our own lives, but it creates dysfunction as a whole in our relationships. And yet we also saw last week that Jesus redeems that. That, that Jesus makes those things new. That Jesus allows us to step back into a place where we, we, we not only have right relationship with God, but we are able to understand self properly and understand how that then causes us to relate with one another. So we believe that the church is family established by Jesus for Jesus, capable of being healthy because of Jesus. And we want to look at really a couple of the markers that I think we see in healthy families. 
So that's what, that's what we're going to do this morning, is just talk through three uh, sort of separate things, three separate markers that I think we see in healthy families and ultimately in a healthy church. And before, before we get started, let me just say this. If you're, if you're someone who's whose family experience has been less than pleasant. My, my hope this morning is not to, to cause you to despair for the years lost in the past, but to cause you to look with hope in the future, in the family that God provides. Because the family that is born of the Spirit, the family that is united in Jesus, the church of God, runs far deeper than blood. Because your blood will expire along with you but your life in Christ is eternal. We've been promised that. And so just know that. And as we talk about these things, again, let's, let's, let's mourn the brokenness, but look all the more to the hope, all the more to the hope of Jesus. So the first thing that I think we see in healthy families and that we will take straight from John 17 is this idea that healthy families love. Healthy families love, right? So John 17, 23, and 20, uh, 23 through 26 say this. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is Jesus praying, and he says, I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Now, let me just take a break here and, and remind us where we're at in Scripture here, right? So we're in John. This is a, a telling of the life of Jesus, and this is Jesus' final prayer before he's going to be arrested. And so he's coming before his Father. He's coming before God, and he's saying, look, these are the things that I would desire for those who come after me, right? So, so Jesus is praying for his disciples in the immediate present, but he's also praying for those who would come after those who would call upon his name for salvation. And this is what his prayer is, right? It says, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And what we see in verse 24, which is just really, really incredible. It says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. And so look, this, this doesn't operate sort of as an addendum to last week, but it's wholly wrapped up in what we talked about last week. Right? Because when we were created, if we go back to Genesis chapter 1, when we were created, we were created in right relationship, in communion. We were brought into really a family. Right? It, the, the Bible tells us that, they, that God said, let us make man in our own image. That in that moment that God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Spirit are existing in communion and that we get brought into that. Like that he, he invites us in. So he's not just a creator God that stands to the back and is sort of impersonally sort of, let's just see how this experiment plays out, but that God invites us in. Right? And Genesis talks all about sort of how this, this idea that they walked together with God in the garden. And this is the, this is the love that Jesus is talking about here in this, this section when he says, look, you've loved me from the foundation of the world. He says, look, we've been a family from the beginning. 
And I want, I, I'm coming and I want to restore this family. I want to make these things new. And yet, here, here's, here's where we have to, have to do some work. Because we know that no matter what, the dysfunction that has happened in our families comes down ultimately to one thing, if we, if we believe the Bible to be true. And that is the fact that at that moment, when, when this sort of harmony and beautiful creation was marred, that at that moment, what we chose was, God, you are not a good and gracious God. I believe I can do better for myself. And so in the same way that that, that, that breaks relationship with God, it ultimately breaks relationship with one another because here's, what's ha- here's what happens. Right? The minute you become king, the minute you become the chief end of all creation, the minute your pleasure and happiness becomes the end of your existence, you will necessarily, at some point in any and all of your relations, come, relationships, come to a point where what you think you need and is best for you stands in direct opposition to what someone else thinks they need and is best for them. And yet, the love that we have been called to is something completely and entirely different from that, right? That when Jesus restores us, that when Jesus redeems us, there's something, there's something that happens, right? What, what was it that happened in Genesis? We traded identity, essentially. We said, look, my identity is not wrapped up in you, God. My identity is in myself, and I am going to serve that identity. We were broken in that sense. And yet, because of what Jesus has done, we are now able, we are not now able to have a correct understanding of self, that we were always meant to serve God, that we were always meant to live underneath his gracious reign and rule rather than above or alongside him. And this is what ultimately allows us to truly love. Because look, in 1 John, book of 1 John, there's, there's all kinds of, uh, sort of, the whole book is all about this new commandment to love one another. And then it shows us, it says, look, do you want to know what love is? Don't sing the song. It says, if you want to know what love is, like if you want the definition, if you want to be able to put like a tangible, visible reality as to what love is, what love looks like, he says, look to the cross. He says, look to the cross. And so we, we go there and we, we ask ourselves, what is, it, what is the transaction? What is it that's taking place on the cross? There's, there's a selfishness, there's a self-centeredness that gets laid down for the sake of others, right? Like if anybody had the right to be self-centered, if anybody had the right to say, I don't really need to do that, it probably would have been Jesus, most likely. And yet he lays himself down for another. And so look, when we, when we begin to understand Jesus, when we call upon his name for salvation, our understanding of ourselves is liberated to the degree that we are now able to actually love one another, to actually take the God of self and say, no, we're going to set you aside. We're going to take up the good news of the gospel, the work of Jesus, and we're going to love and humbly serve one another. Just like Jesus in Philippians 2 says, look, this mind of humility is already yours in me. So healthy families love one another. 
right? I mean, that's, it's very simple. It sounds, it sounds very simple because it is. Like the family of God, the church of Jesus loves one another. And look, many, many of us probably have issues with the church because at some point we have felt unloved, right? Or we have experienced something other than the love of Jesus playing itself out in and through the church, right? I mean, I've experienced that, certainly. And yet, Jesus is redeeming all of the dysfunction. And he's calling us to step into rather than away from, right? So that's always the temptation. Whenever we experience something that is uncomfortable or, or, or what we perceive to be as unloving or unkind is to run away. And yet what the gospel calls us to do is to step into that in the same way that, in the same way that Jesus steps into that, in the same way that Jesus leaves his comfort and takes up the discomfort of life in human form and goes to a death, even a death on a cross in order that we might be drawn near, right? Like that's what he is praying for in John 17. He's like, I want them to know that you love them as you have loved me, that I love them in and through all of this beautiful sort of mysterious thing that is happening. And so healthy, healthy families love. The church is supposed to be a place in which love flourishes. And love, as we can clearly see from the scriptures, is absolutely not feeling. Although feeling may accompany at some point. More often than not, it is the hard decision to lay down self for the good of another. The Bible tells us that is what defines love. So the second thing I think that we see is that healthy families provide, and and uh, I'm going to jump to Acts uh, chapter two really quick. And if you've had any like experience with the Bible and any sort of time in church, then you'll probably recognize this portion of scripture because I think that it's it's sort of the gold standard for churches, right? Pastors love this verse because they go to it and they say, "What would it look like to be this kind of people?" Like, and, and, and is this what we look like? Because if we don't, are we building on the same foundation that Jesus established? Because, because what Acts really is, is just a it's, a, it's a chronicling, a history of the beginning of the church. And so if we're going to call ourselves one, like, how, how do we look like compared to this, right? So here's what's happening in Acts chapter 2. People are, are being called to faith in Jesus. They're responding in great number. And in verse 42, it says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. So here's what happens, right? We talked about last week how the gospel redeems, right? Like Jesus redeems people. He makes, he makes things new. He brings them back into fellowship. He restores our identity, our understanding of self. Right? We were created for God. We chose to leave that responsibility, but Jesus allows us back into that. And what happens is, is when people hear this gospel, when people hear this good news, the natural 
outflow of that is that a family forms. That's what's happened here. Peter has just preached a a strong gospel message at, at Pentecost. People receive the word of Jesus and they by nature begin to act like a family. They not only love one another, but they begin to provide for one another. Right? That's what we see in uh, that, that middle verse there. Right? Verse 45, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now look, this, this all follows in, in sort of a logical uh, uh, sequence. We can't truly begin to provide for one another. We can't truly begin to understand sort of what this looks like if, if we don't first love one another. Right? If, I, if I don't love you, I'm probably not going to be compelled in any way, shape, or form to look at my belongings and say, what, what of this can I get rid of so that I can help this person? I'm not going to be compelled to do that at all. Like everything around me tells me that life is all about me. So what is it that's going to compel that? Right? True provision is only possible when we are not God, but God is God. And that what we have belongs to him and has been given us temporarily that we might serve others. So look, here's what's happening here, right? We talked about last week how the gospel redeems us, how the gospel is something that reorients. This is the reorientation that rather than loving ourselves really, really well, which we're pretty good at, by the way, we begin to love one another. And instead of providing for ourselves really, really well, we begin to look at what it means to provide for one another. Look, this is the counterculture. And for all, you know, for all, uh, as great as it is to kind of look around and be like, no, like tattoos are counter- counterculture and all these different things and being hip or whatever. Like none of those cause us to confront what is deepest in our heart, to cause us to live actually counterculture rather than just consuming something that's a little bit different from what everybody else consumes. Because what's happening here is that where the culture says it's all about you, the gospel says it's all about family. Like it's all about, it's all about one another. It's all about one another. Like to the degree to where we would begin to look like this Acts chapter two, that Jesus might actually be made famous by our love for one another, by our provision for one another. Like that that's, that that's what happens, right? That as they live this life, that's, that's what happens. So look, we say every week, just to bring it to where the rubber meets the road, we say every week, right? We want to invite you to a neighborhood parish. It's where our preaching is being put into practice. It's where we gather together as smaller expressions of the family of God to love one another, to care for one another, to serve one another. And so if you've ever wondered, like, where, where does that desire, where's that desire birthed from? Is it because we just really wanted to come up with something with a weird name um, and, then, and then invite people in so that we could sort of, I, I don't know, like, I, I don't know what other motivation I could possibly give you for something that inconvenient for those who host and that kind of strange for, for people who maybe don't even like each other. And yet, 
in that, in that moment, what is happening is that we are, we're, we're really allowing the gospel to settle on our hearts to a degree where not, not is it just going to be, okay, I'm going to give my 10 bucks and I'm going to show up on Sunday, but that I'm actually going to allow the gospel through the church to change my life, to reorient my life in such a way that I now have to consider others, that I now have to think about what it would mean to love and serve and provide for another because that's what Jesus has called me to do. That that's what's happening when we invite you to a neighborhood parish. And so if you're, if you're feeling the pressure right now, like, yeah, this is, the, this is the, the strong cell. Because look, God, God has created us or God has purposed for us through this salvation to experience the fullness of his grace in the family of God. And you won't do that. Like that will not happen in one hour on a Sunday. It just won't. And look, I don't want you to experience a half gospel because a half gospel is not a, not a gospel. Jesus came to make all things new. Jesus came to make us new, but he came to make our families new. He came to make his, his body, his people, his nation, his royal priesthood, his sojourners, his exiles, a family a family in which true love happens, a family in which true provision happens, where we provide for one another, not just of our resources that are tangible, but but we provide the gospel to one another, where we preach that to one another day in and day out, where we call ourselves to remember that we're adopted sons and daughters of God by the finished work of Jesus, finished work of Jesus. So that's, that's what's happening, and that's why every single week we will not fail to say, please come to a neighborhood parish. Now, let me, let me back up and let's, let's rewind a little bit, because in all of this, there's a fair amount of idealism, isn't there? Like, oh, the church is supposed to be a place of love. The church is supposed to be a place where we provide for one another. And every one of us in this room, if you've been in church long enough, you can point to specific instances in your life where the church was neither loving nor providing for you. So let me just say, look, that's not going to change here. That's still going to happen. There's still a measure of brokenness in us. And yet there's a faithfulness that we can trust from God when he says that he will bring to completion the good work that he's begun. So look, healthy, healthy families love one another. Healthy families provide for one another. The church strives to be this family that loves one another, that provides for one another. And healthy families also multiply. And you're probably maybe wondering to yourself why I cut off the last portion of verse 47 in Acts 2. Let me read it for you now. It says this. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So look, healthy families grow. Healthy families multiply. And, and here's what I believe happens here in Acts chapter two. And here's what, what I'm hoping, what I'm praying, what I'm believing the Lord for at Sojourn and many other churches throughout Houston and the world is that as we grow in understanding of the gospel, as we learn to love one another, as we learn to provide one another, that those people that see that tangible expression of the gospel in the church, that they come to know Jesus. 
Like, it doesn't say anything about some new, innovative way to share the gospel, right? It's this cube, and you unfold it, and it tells you the story of Jesus, you know? Or let me read you this tract. It's a new one. It's better than all the other ones that came before it, the five million different kinds. And that's what led to this great sort of crazy growth in in the beginning of the church. No. You want to know what happened? Like the gospel was preached. People responded to it by loving one another, providing for one another, living into the truth of the gospel. And people saw that and said, that's got to be true. It must be true. Because it makes no sense that this collection of people who are all different, all kind of weird, all kind of crazy, all with their own flaws, would begin to look outside of themselves for five minutes and begin considering what it might look like to be a place where love for one another abounds in Christ and where provision for one another in the riches of Jesus' blessing, both in his gospel and in his uh, and, and in all the different things that you, that you have that you would consider yours. What that might look like then to, to bring that to bear in a community in which we share all of these things. So, I believe, I really do believe that what happens here in Acts chapter 2 is, is exactly what we read in Ephesians chapter 3. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says that, uh, it's in verse 10, he says that it's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God will be made known. So let me simplify that down. All he's saying is it's through the church, the tangible people of the church, that I will make myself known. Like that's the vehicle that he's chosen. And if you've been around churches for a while, you're like, that was a weird decision. And yet this is what God has purposed. Right, that the church would be the apologetic, like the defense for the truth of God's word. That Jesus is who he says he is, that he can do what he says he can do, that he can take dead men and make them alive. That he can bring light where there was only darkness. And look, that truth becomes real when the church begins to operate as this family when the church begins to break bread with one another, when the church begins to sell their possessions and belongings to distribute so that their brother is is not in lack, when the church begins to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, when they begin to gather together in homes, when they receive their food with glad and generous hearts, when they praise God and have favor with all people. Like that God uses that. So, how do, how do we tie this in then to sort of this idea that healthy families multiply? Well, look, we, we say all the time, there's kind of three things, I guess, right? I'm good at the three thing. We all know that. We've established that over a long period of time at this point. But there's really, there's three things that we want to do as a church at, at Sojourn. Like, so if you're wondering, like, what's the, the end goal of all of this? And we, we say it this way. We want to we make disciples. We want to multiply parishes and we want to plant churches. And you may say, wow, that sounds somewhat imperialistic in the sense that like, okay, we're going to go and make disciples, then we're going to multiply parishes, then we're going to plant churches as if we're building sort of some gigantic sojourn kingdom that we want everyone to sort of fall in line underneath. And that's not the case. But what we really do believe, biblically, is that when we, that we, when we live lives informed by gospel grace, 
And we, we begin to lay down the God of self and take up the good news of the gospel. And we begin to love one another. And we begin to provide for one another that by necessity, that by necessity, that will change people's lives. Because look, there's a lot of us in here that believe Romans chapter 116, but there's not a lot of us in here that believe Romans chapter 116. That the gospel is the power of God himself unto salvation for all who would believe. But at Sojourn, we believe that. We believe that, and we ask the Lord, help my unbelief, because it's true. And, and look, he has chosen, he has purposed to use this family of his to ensure that that message makes it to every tongue, every tribe, and every nation. And so you, you, you may ask yourselves, look, I, why is it that we would want to multiply parishes, right? If you've been in a parish for any season of time, you know that it's pretty easy to get comfortable in there. You get to know people, right? You get to know people, you, you actually get to taste a little bit of this idea of what it, what it looks like to love one another, what it looks like to serve one another, what it looks like to provide for one another. Like, those things create bonds that are stronger even than blood. They do. If you haven't experienced it, I would, I would invite you to experience it. So why would, we, why would we want to multiply that? Or why would we want to break those things up and sort of say, okay, you, now, now you're going over here and you're going over here. That's uncomfortable. That's painful, right? You, you sort of leave behind some relationships that although you may stick around at Sojourn, like you, you don't see them every week during the week, you're, you're going to see them on Sundays when we multiply a parish. Right? And that's it's kind of weird. It's like, man, this person was like intimately involved in my life for a good period of time, and now I hardly ever see them. Let me... Let me just encourage us with this, and this is really more for, for those of us who have been maybe members longer at Sojourn or maybe have just been around at Sojourn for a while, and you've experienced a multiplication. Like, look, we know that's hard. We know that that's difficult. And for some of you um, that have been here, you know, for a shorter amount of time, like, you're going to experience that soon because all of them are bursting at the seams at this point. And it'll be difficult, and it'll be hard, but we let people go because of need. Our friendships are meaningful, they're important, but we separate because there's a need, right? This is where we want to live into our, our name, what we call ourselves, sojourn, right? Like your, your life, my life, if you're a Christian in the room, like is a brief blip on the eternal radar. And the family that you have here, the family that you make here, the family that you're joined together with in Christ here at sojourn, you will spend eternity with. That's the great comfort and good news of the gospel. There's nobody in this room that calls themselves a, a follower of Jesus who have, who have turned their lives over to his reign and rule, to his lordship, that you will not experience joy in eternity with. That you will not sit around the banquet table of God and feast and rejoice in the good news of the gospel. The wedding of the Lamb. And so... Brothers and sisters, it's with that knowledge that we can say, you know what? This is difficult for me. These are relationships that are valuable to me. But there are people who need Jesus. And as our parishes multiply, so does the apologetic for the gospel. As our parishes multiply, so does the witness of the gospel. As our parishes multiply, new regions, new portions of the city are engaged with the good news of Jesus. And they need that. 
more than I need personal friendship right now. And look, if you want, if you want an example of this, just look to Jesus. Right? Jesus was in some pretty good relationship prior to coming down here and doing that whole thing. And yet what? It tells us that he didn't consider his equality with God as something to be grasped, but he rather made himself nothing. He was made into the form of a man, and he became obedient to death, even to death on a cross, in order to do what? To expand the family. Like to draw you and I into the family. Right? Like if Jesus never leaves and he's just up there like, you know what? I, I don't know. I'm comfortable up here. It's good. I've got good relationships. These people know me. We've known each other for a really, really long time. You know, like I don't want to do that. But Jesus sees a need and his love compels him. His love drives him to the, to the insanity of the cross. And so look, you and I, look, if you're, if you're, if you're a sojourner, if, you, if you're someone who's, who's sort of made a life here, look, that's going to happen for us. There's going to be people that leave your parish to start new parishes. And you know what? By God's grace, there's going to be people that leave this church to start new churches. And by God's grace, there's going to be people from this church that we send to the other side of the world because there's gospel need. And we're not going to mourn over that, at least not as those without hope. Because what God has called us into, this family, is established forever. And so when we talk about multiplying parishes, multiplying churches, it's not about claiming territory. It's about the fact that we are better together. It's about the fact that as churches multiply, so does the witness for Jesus. And that we would aspire, that we would hope that Acts chapter 2 would be true of us as we journey towards Jesus in such a way that day by day the Lord might add to their number those who are being saved. So I know I need to wrap up, but let me just ask a few sort of concluding questions or concluding thoughts. What we've painted here in terms of a picture of what the church could be is something beautiful and wonderful and often untrue of us, isn't it? Like, that's where the disconnect is, right? That's what you're thinking to yourself. You're like, yeah, but pastor, every time I've stepped into the church, this hasn't been true. And look, the the truth is that until Jesus returns, we will experience the dysfunction that is born from our sinfulness and the curse. We'll experience that. It'll happen. So there's going to be times where the church should love you and it won't. And there's going to be times where the church should provide for you, and it won't. But you know what? There's grace. There's grace abounding in the gospel of Jesus that calls us to come back to the table and say, I know you failed me, but we are creating a place in which this is true of us. And look, Jesus himself promises that that good work which he begins, he will finish, he will conclude. And so even though we fall down, we're going to get back up and we're going to get back in the saddle. We're going to try again. We're going to do our best to love one another. We're going to do our best to provide for one another. And where we don't and where sin blinds our eyes, we will repent before the Lord and we will ask for grace to move forward. 
that by the power of the Spirit, we might truly love one another, that by the power of the Spirit, we might truly provide for one another, and that by the power of the Spirit and the Spirit alone, we might multiply so that, the, so that our family grows. We make disciples asking Jesus to redeem people. We multiply parishes hoping that as Jesus unites us as a family, we will become healthy families that love one another and others, provide for one another and others, and multiply the grace of God in Jesus to this neighborhood, to this city, and to this world. So in closing, when we talk about our hopes for sojourn, when we talk about how we multiply parishes, when we talk about... um, Sharing the gospel throughout Montrose and Houston, our hope is not to conquer, but our hope is to see such a cultural transformation that not just our church, but that our city would begin to look like a family. Like that the gospel might change people in Houston to the degree that we begin to look less like a collection of strangers and more like a family that loves one another, that provides for one another, that multiplies. Now, that might sound like a big goal, right? Like there's a lot of people in Houston. It's going to take a whole lot to see people begin to put down the idol of self and to begin to take up the gospel of the good news of Jesus and to lay our, lay our lives down for one another in the church and for those outside the church, right? In fact, that's a, that's a goal in terms of seeing the, the, the city of Houston transformed to the degree that it begins to look like a family. That's a goal that you may not see come to pass in your lifetime myself either. And yet, what God has called his church to do and be spans far greater than your lifetime. We've got one chance, one shot, one life to make this thing work. To do our part, to play our part so that, you know what? Maybe, who knows how many, how many years down the road and who knows what heaven's even going to look like, but that people might come and say, I know my spiritual heritage, my spiritual lineage. Like, do you, do you recognize that right now you sit in this room listening to the gospel among brothers and sisters because somebody before you was faithful and because somebody before them was faithful and because somebody before them was faithful and because Jesus was faithful? to come and provide the way, the truth, and the life. So we, we have this vision for Houston that goes beyond two generations unless the Lord returns. But this hope that we have for Houston is not a hope that will be put to shame. Right? So you may think to yourself, there's no way that's even possible. There's no way that, that, that that's going to look that way. And yet the Lord has promised that those whom he foreknew, he predestined. Those who he predestines, he calls. Those who he calls, he justifies. Those who he justifies, he glorifies. And he will have a people unto himself, a people of every tongue, every tribe, and every nation. So, I really believe, I really believe that what was broken in Genesis 3 gets restored in Revelation 21 and our calling is to stand in that gap and to press against that which is broken and to strain for that which is to come. 
This is a life worth living. This is life that is truly life. This is life abundant, as Jesus named it. Look, all, all of us in life, when, when Jesus said that, one, he never meant this, right? Life abundant. And all of us, whether we're Christians or not in the room, we've experienced life like this. And I really believe that what Jesus is saying when he says, I've come to give life abundant, he means that in the church and in following me among this family, among this people, is life abundant. The highest highs, the lowest of lows, among a family in which the name and fame of Jesus only grows by the way that we love one another, by the way that we provide for one another, and by the way that we multiply gospel grace throughout our cities, throughout our homes, throughout our marriages, throughout our parishes, throughout our churches, and throughout this world. This is what you find yourself caught up in. This is our dysfunction being made into function. That as we show one another grace, that God's grace is revealed for any and all to taste and see, knowing that in the living water, there's no more thirst. Let's pray.